0: What's up, guys? Um, welcome to Make sure all this is good and the audio is good. Hope everyone is having a good uh, week. It's been a fun week. We had media days and it just ended this uh, this afternoon. So it has been a uh, pretty wild, um, wild week for me. And, you know, I think most of the SEC and, and stuff like that in general had a crazy day for uh, close out with Jimbo and all that good stuff. So we're going to get to all of that. But. Um, Marlo Dodged but it, Man, welcome in, Willie Gray. Uh, Marlo Dodged the pod tonight. Yeah, thank you, Robert St. Jean. Right, for First off, how's the audio? Because I don't have my mic. I'm over at Liz's. Um, so we are playing from behind here. But let me know if the uh, if the audio is fine, because I'm sure I set something up incorrectly. Even though Tyler Huck, despite being on vacation, um, did a shirtless FaceTime with me. where he was shirtless, not both of us. That would be weird uh to help me go through setting all this up since he is the uh, brains behind technology anyway um got a pretty big episode i guess because we didn't do any of the other um recaps during the week and perfect Eddie, i appreciate that uh we didn't do any of the other episodes during the week and just you know it was a crazy crazy week like i said uh from media days here in atlanta but we got a recap of the whole week we have we're going to start about all the things that happened on day four with Brian Harson's comments and Jimbo Fisher's that had everyone talking. They were trending on Twitter and all social media, all that good stuff. Um, Kirby Smart's New Deal, we'll get into that, and the ridiculous backlash from it. Uh, for no reason. What's up, Tyler Davis? Um, why are you going 90 miles an hour listening to this this podcast? Uh, and then we'll do some just you know recap from the rest of the week and uh, some winners and losers I guess uh, when I say losers I just mean Clarkley, the Vanderbilt head coach who had maybe the quote of the week or lie of the week depending on how you want to look at it um, him and Jim Fisher would definitely be in the running uh, neck and neck on that but anyway like I said um, and we will also answer all y'all's questions as well uh, from Facebook and, and Twitter and all that good stuff so let's get into it uh, today was day four of ST Media Days uh, as I said several times we were there all week Connor was also there from SDS. Um, I think Matt Hayes, who is technically a coworker, but I've never met him. Uh, we were all there representing SDS all week. It was a blast. It was a blast. I love media days. It's always a lot of fun. I think people that are like seasoned veterans of media um, and don't live off of uh, other people's like co- uh, compliments for validation, like me, uh, are probably over it because they, you know, it's it's a lot of coach speak for four days. It's a lot of work for four days. It's you know roughly an eighty-hour work week. But I love it, man. You you get to meet so many people. You get to talk to all these different players, coaches, all that good stuff. Um, and if you kept up uh, or followed along all week, I, I had uh, probably the best week I've ever had uh, work-wise and had several comments that um, got a lot of national attention, uh, had nothing to do with football, had to do with gambling, uh, fake Southern accents, and then um, me telling the longest question ever to Kirby Smart. So I don't get shot mostly. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, thanks James. So today, day four, everything that happened today, uh, was largely about Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher was like, and real quick, most day fours of SEC media days suck, right? Cause Wednesday night, fun fact, we all go out, uh, usually in Birmingham, it's karaoke night. Last night it was just get drunk at the hotel bar night, um, and try to watch all these 27 year old assistant producer, um, what do you call it? Like radio show hosts, uh, hit on my girlfriend, which was a ton of fun. Shout out Ty Richardson from, uh, from Arkansas, but Thursday sucks. Cause it's usually Vandy for whatever reason, Auburn and then some other throwaway school. I think it was Mizzou in the past and everyone is ready to go. Everyone is, it's been a long, long week already. Everyone's fucking ready to leave. Um, this year they did a really good job of, of, you know, trying to hold people's interest when you have, Brian Harsin opening, especially with the offseason Auburn's had. Um, and then after that was Josh Heupel, who is probably... I mean, from what I've gathered in this, the entire offseason, Tennessee feels like the consensus number three team in the SEC uh, preseason-wise, right? I think that's what most people are, are, are kind of thinking. And um, and then you get Jimbo Fisher closing it out. Uh, listen, so... And I'm gonna, So cool you got to have that experience. Oh, thanks, Eddie. I appreciate that, man. Um, oh, nice. I haven't even listened to those yet. So... Jimbo Fisher takes the stage today, and and I'm going to make sure I have this right. This is going to shock you. I'm going to actually use the correct quotes this time when I tell you the story. Jimbo Fisher takes the stage, and of course, everyone is is waiting for him to bring up or address all the shit that happened with the NIL stuff and the public dispute and, and spat with Nick Saban. Jimbo gets up, and the first thing he says is this. The first question he has is, uh, is this. Something, it was something along the lines of, you know, you had this public press conference, blah, blah, blah. Do you regret any of the things that were said or the way you handled it? Are there any regrets? You know, I think that's a fair question. Um, his response caught everyone off guard because the the immediate, immediate response from Jimbo Fisher was, we're fine. We're fine. Uh, you know, me and Nick are, are two competitive people um, and, and we're, we're great. We all learn from things we do in our business. Two competitive guys on a topic that's very, Very everywhere, as they say. No one says that. Uh, There's no rules. Um, Each state has different laws. But anyway, no. I have great respect for Nick. Unfortunately, our unfortunately our thing went went public. Sometimes that happens in this world. Nothing is private anymore, is it? So listen, as someone um, that is constantly uh, on social media and is way too public about his personal life, even I know if you call a press conference publicly to then publicly uh, slam someone and <laughs> say all these negative things about him, that's probably going to go public. There was no, no chance I was going to say private. You know why? Cause you never fucking said anything in private Jimbo. You said all of it publicly at a press conference you called. It was amazing. So everyone immediately like in at media days on social media erupts. Um, cause it's a stark contrast from what he said then to what he said now. If you know, if you forgot what he said in may, it was, Incredible. He opened by saying it's a shame they had to be at that press conference that he called and then said, uh, went on to say everything was despicable about seven to eight, 18 times. And then, I mean, he went from everything of calling Saban a narcissist to saying how he thinks he's God and then, you know, vaguely accusing him of cheating and how he knew the ins and outs of of Saban's system and how he was bitching about this and that. My favorite part was when he said, he said, have you talked to him since then? He goes, he called. I'm not going to talk to him. We're done. We're done. Now, listen, as somebody that's been in therapy for years, I'm happy that they did squash this and handled it like, like adults because hearing a grown 50-something-year-old man say that he saw that Saban called him and you know, probably to smooth things over and said he wasn't going to answer it and they, they were done talking forever, after the history they had, that seemed like a gross overreaction. So I'm happy that they were able to squash that like two adult grown men. It's hard to get over all the words that he said, though. Uh, and the narcissist thing and the cheating allegations and all that kind of stuff. And he just kept on. I So he knows it's coming October 8th. No, so public press conferences are not eight. It's a, not private. That's a good question from Robert. Um, Ricky Bobby light. Now, listen, Jimbo Fisher is a lot of things and he's caught a lot of grief and flack from me, especially this off season. A um, and M fans defended him, you know, just adamantly and to the death. And they still, you know, and they did today as well. And that's their coach. Why shouldn't they? What surprised me the most was when you go through all the things that were said, Um, you knew this was going to be a fucking shit show of fun when he took took the podium. No one talks faster. No, I've always said this. Jimbo Fisher, every time he opens his mouth, I feel like he should be in a rocking chair on some front porch lying about the size of a fish. That's his whole thing. That's like his whole shtick. Um, we've seen it with Mullen and people lashing out irrationally in the moment. I do it all the time. I'm going to probably do it in a couple of minutes. Um, it's odd to see something go that public because it's arguably the biggest news of the off season that wasn't rule re- like related. You know what I mean, or or anything like that. Where's the actual host this week? <laughs> Appreciate that, James Swivey. Um, so Fisher continues. He goes on. Uh, the first three questions for his entire press conference were all about Saban. To be fair. Um, you know, play devil's advocate here. Saban didn't have a single question asked about the, the argument he had with, with Jimbo. Do I feel bad for Jim on that? No, no. Cause again, you called a public press conference to lose your mind. Now the other news from Jimbo's press conference, uh, Aeneas Smith, Aeneas Smith, the, um, you know, all everything, do everything. Offensive player. He has got a DWI and was arrested on Wednesday morning, a day before he had to come to Atlanta for media days. Now that sucks for him. Cause he missed out on the world of Coke, but also sucks for a lot of other reasons because uh, it wasn't just a DWI. He also had unlawful carrying of a weapon and less than two ounces of, of weed. Listen, I'm not going to pretend to know how to do drug math. Um, Cause I don't square foot math. No clue. Drug math. No clue. Cousin math. I got you. Uh, if this was like two ounces of weed twice removed, I, I could easily tell you what that means, but the Smith, they're going to look into it. Jibbo said he had no comments on it, which is pretty standard, but, Would this be a big loss if he was suspended for the season or had to face charges? Absolutely. Will that happen? No. Um, You know, I think in most cases for media days, this would have been a massive story just because there rarely are huge stories that happen during the week. Uh, But this was, you know, I think, I think people have been frustrated with Jimbo and A&M in general, and maybe a lot of that's unfair. So this was something that was kind of like lumped in with this. Um, we're not going to find anything for weeks. He'll probably face, you know, a one to two game suspension and he'll be back before they play Miami in week three. So cousin squared equals Alabama. And you know, probably Mississippi too. Um, listen, I know I give, I give a lot of shit to Jimbo uh, and and m especially this offseason. season. There were a lot of positives from what um, Jimbo did today and, and, and the things he said. And again, no matter what happened in, in May or, or the shit with Saban, there's, Probably not a more charismatic, uh, non-PG charismatic guy in in the SEC uh, as a head coach. And I say non-PG because Sam Pittman and, and Beamer once again proved they're the most likable coaches in the conference, possibly the country. And but Jimbo, man, you know, right on the heels of, of these first three questions, he he then answers and lies um, to one media member who who brought up the video that went viral of his assistant coach telling uh, recruits. On on camera, see these, you know, these uh this section of seats down here, these are the boosters. If you come here, they're gonna pay you a lot of money. Jimbo immediately uh redirected that and then explained what it really meant, which this is gonna shock you, was not how it sounded at all. So it was it was kind of taken out of context, uh, according to Jimbo. It wasn't, it wasn't at all. But the the best part of his uh of his day today, Joseph Goodman from Aero.com brought up a point about how. He's, he said, "Jimbo, as somebody that transcribes podcasts for or uh, press conferences for a living, how do you talk so fast?" And <laughs> Jimbo, um, in typical Jimbo fashion, just immediately, uh, I guess, like quipped back about how he said, "I'm like a media member's dream. Um, we're just trying to get as, to as many things as possible." And uh, oh, God dang it, why don't I kind of find this real quick? Um, hold on. That's the NIL question. Uh, sorry, sorry. Hold on guys. I'm trying to scroll through this. I didn't realize he talked this much, but I guess like he said, there was a lot that he got to with how fast he was talking. This question comes from somebody who transcribes interviews for a living. How do you speak so fast? He said, you got to get the thoughts out. How long do you want to be here? If I talk slow, if I give you lots of information in a short amount of time, I'm a reporter's dream dag which is exactly how that transcribed by the way. Um, how can you all be complaining about that? I could be slow. I could be slow and drawn out. Um, talk about where we're going, what we're doing. Quoted Forrest Gump. And then he said, heck, I get you. I get you in and out, man. You know what I'm on? On a limited amount of time. And probably some, I don't know, performance enhancing things. Uh, I'm used to coaching. And he's talking about the stupid 20-hour rule. You got to get as much information as possible. And it was hands down the quote of the day. Uh, it was And it was hilarious. Other positives of like this, Listen. They are hand. I, I brought up Tennessee being potentially the third best team in the SEC. I probably bespoke because A and M is is probably going to get that uh, that that vote. I think probably when you see the predicted order of finish come out tomorrow, um, you signed I'm on recruiting class in the history of recruiting. You've got talent, a lot of talent come back. He didn't really touch on the quarterback situation. Said so that's going to be a battle in fall camp. But other than that, it was it was a uh, it was a fun day from Jimbo, and he caused a lot of uh, of stir in what uh what he said. Also, oh God, we got. I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said anything about the cousin math. That's all we can talk about in the comments here. Um, the other other big name of the day besides Josh Heupel, Ryan Harson uh, opened the day from Auburn. Everyone I talked to all week is down on Auburn. Just everyone thinks Harson's on the hot seat. You guys have heard me say it several times. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Um, I, I don't think he should be. I think the way everything un, unfolded in January and February. Made the boosters and the university look way worse. Uh, and If anything, they had to do you know more of an overcorrection from like a, a PR standpoint, and and kind of go to bad form and and make everything seem like it was not that big of a deal and that they were all in on Harson. Harson came out and said this, and it was, I, I think, spoke volumes about you know what happened in uh in February. He said, in the second paragraph of his opening statement. They were, um, there were, it, there was an inquiry. There was a, hold on real quick. There were questions. Uh, there were comments and there were accusations and it didn't work. Um, flat out. It didn't work. Listen, that is the most, I lived bitch meme. <laughs> you know, talking about that the the text message meme, imaginable. I mean, Brian Harson. I feel like he's probably been the most disrespected coach in the conference, including Clark Lee from Bandy or Jimbo or anything like that, anything like that. There's not a guy that's caught more unnecessary and undeserved shit from the media fans. Um, and not just from, you know, personal standpoint, but from a, you know, predictive standpoint and where his team is and the state of the program. The sky has been falling in Auburn for months, and I don't I don't think that's accurate. Uh, as soon as he took the stage, there were memes everywhere from like the girl he was rumored to have an affair with that never happened that never happened and it came out this week I mean this is what we told you a long time ago that all came out from boosters because the boosters were trying to figure out who the leak was amongst themselves and they planted that information to go public on purpose at the expense of Brian Harson think about how fucked up that is first off um there's no validity to any of that I think Brian Harson is a probably a good person do I you know like they wear's Cole bedazzled jeans? No. Do I think he probably has a little bit of a swinger side of him with him and his wife? Absolutely. But all the shit that was said in February, absolutely not true. Um, if Harson's not on the hot seat, who is? I mean, hard. I, I think probably Drinkwitz probably from, from Missouri, but um Harson, I thought did a really good job For most people that I talked to, and we'll see the results that come out tomorrow from the media. Auburn is going to be predicted to finish last or second to last um, almost across the board in, in the sec West. I, I, they return a decent amount of experience. The quarterback position is going to be an issue. Uh, we'll see how Zach Calzada is. I, I think if you talk to people close to Auburn, their big concern is what happens next year. Cause you don't have a lot of talent coming in and the recruiting has been an issue. That being said, I don't think that they're in that bad of shape this year. You have possibly the best running back in the sec, uh, maybe the country, Auburn is, and this is when they're always at their most dangerous. We say it every year. Um, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I don't think Harson's gone after this year. Um, I don't think he gets a, a new contract. But if you look at Auburn's history uh, from the, their head coaching, uh, from a head coaching standpoint, every single coach since Pat Dye has either won a division, conference, national title, or at least got undefeated because Terry Bowden went 11 0 in year one. They've had a division conference or national title by year three. Every single coach has done that in the last, for the last six overall head coaches dating back to Pat Dye. I, I mean, that's a lot of success and that's, that's real early. Um, does that condone how uh, crazy they are to fire, to talk about him being in the hot seat in year two? No, but I, I don't think Auburn going to be as bad as people think they're going to be. All right, let's get to the Georgia fans. Cause I know you guys are fucking chomping at the bit because it's, you know, Always you against the world and another tough week for Georgia fans um, as they were just actually, you know what? I'm not going to give you guys shit because this week you guys probably had the the right to play victim. Kirby Smart signed a brand new 10 year, hundred and twelve point five million dollar contract. So bravo to Kobe or Kirby. (laughs) Um, Listen, first thing that came to mind is congrats. Second thing that came to mind is I hope that he's going to fucking hire someone to actually cut his hair instead of doing it himself. Um, thanks, man. But Kirby signing this the day after he spoke, I think that was probably timed correctly because a majority of the questions probably would have been fielded and directed towards that. Um, and Kirby did a really good job when he's at the podium. Now listen, the $112.5 million for whatever reason, uh, was the, the focus of a lot of backlash from the media and all of it was unwarranted. I mean, you talk about how, how big of a contract that is. It's a 10 year contract over hundred million dollars that's kind of becoming the standard you talk about, Hey, there's Penelope girlfriend's dog. Um, You talk about how like the state of college football coaches contracts uh, and and what that is. Hello. Um, So ever since Jimbo Fisher signed this 10 year, $75 million contract. And he actually references today. I meant to bring this up. Another great quote. He said, all these 10 year contracts, I I ought to be getting a 2% cut. I mean, there, there's several coaches that have received this type of contract that have never even been to a, a New Year's Six Bowl, let alone win one. Um, you know, I'm not saying that these are the ones, but I mean, you got to talk about like, or even I meant the college football playoff. Lincoln Riley just signed a, a 10-year, $110 million, I believe, uh, million-dollar contract. You have Brian Kelly getting a 10-year contract from LSU. Mel Tucker from Miss, Michigan State, which is honestly the most egregious one to me because um, he's the most unproven but you have several people and several coaches that have already received this type of contract and they've accomplished far less uh than than Kirby Smart has. Kirby Smart just some of the numbers, right? Um also James Franklin has a 10-year contract. James fucking Franklin has a 10-year contract. Um here's some of the numbers from Kirby. Okay? It's the highest contract in all of college sports and here's why he deserves it. He's 65 and 15 overall as a head coach. He's 40 and 9 in the SEC. Um, he's 27-2 and two versus the SEC East in the past five years. He just won you a UN national championship. He recruits at a better and higher level than anyone else in the country on a consistent basis. And the other thing is this, man, it, Saban is 70. He's not going to be around, I, I wouldn't think, for at most another decade, right? I, I don't think it's that. I think it's, it'll be within the next three to five years, tops. Um, personally, I think he's done after for this year. But Kirby has a tremendous amount of upside and and things left that he could accomplish. The ceiling for Kirby at his age at 46 is kind of scary when you think about it. I don't think anyone's going to ever repeat what Saban's doing and we'll see where, you know, what the state of college football even looks like uh, with, you know, super conferences and expansion and all that kind of shit. But Kirby's smart with what he's able to build in Athens. And we've already seen that he's been able to build Athens while he's going up against the best coach in the history of college football. When he's gone, Kirby could easily, easily, uh, dominate and win. I'm going to say it probably as many as Saban has uh, over the next 30 years. Cause it's 30 years. I mean, the, again, ceiling is crazy high for Kirby part because of how young he is and how great of a coach he's already been. Um, the backlash was dumb as shit. Shannon Sharp got mad. Um, RJ young, not a friend of the pod. He got mad. Uh, Gotta love life to you. I appreciate that. Um, Shannon Sharp, I was surprised by this. This is an old old regular of mine from Houston's. He went off because of a comment that was made the day before when Kirby Smart talked about NIL and, and how, you know, there's an imbalance because you have some of the, the younger guys who haven't proven anything, making it as much or more as the older guys. And his response was he didn't care about these kids because, you know, he only cares about them for three to four years when he has them. He doesn't give a shit about the rest of their lives, which that's, I mean, speculation at best, but also completely unfounded bullshit. Um, Kirby Smart, like the three to four year thing, like the example he brought up was the fact that when Kirby first signed his contract, he was already getting more than, than Mark Richt ever did. That would have been a good argument when it, when it was signed again, we're coming off their first national championship and that's something that Mark Richt never even played for uh, in his 15 years, I didn't understand the argument. It was completely off base. Um, and it don't from there. Like, like I said, RJ young brought up the fact that smart said something about maybe there should be like a cap and they should make more than $10,000 a month, um, you know, as players. And, and this is like, you know, you ask the questions, you get an answer. And, and I feel like as soon, as soon as money was involved, it became an issue. Uh, he said, what can I accept in this young man getting $10,000 a month for four years? That's 120 K a year. What do you think he's doing with that? I promise you, if you hand me 10K a month in my freshman year of college, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I don't I don't understand where the, the issue is. Um, Kirby Smart went out of his way to not only condone NIL, but say all of the positives that that have happened for his team as a whole and specific players and and, and the the positives they were doing and life changing things they were doing with the money they were getting. Uh, Ninety-five players on George's roster. Um are receiving nil money it and and again he said all of this the day before and went on and on praising uh not just the players that received it but like the collective that georgia has in place um to help out these players even when, went on to to bring up one of the players who's paying for zads um dialysis and, and and medical bills and how great of a thing nil is for things like that i don't know how you could take this out of context and be mad except for the fact that like people like i always say we're a nation of haters And people forgive you for a lot of things, but success isn't one of them. If you go back, if you go back and look at the actual, you know, statements and quotes that were made, the day after Saban and Fisher had their public bullshit, somebody asked Kirby Smart what his thoughts on NIL were. And he shied away from the Saban drama, of course. But his quote on NIL was almost verbatim what Saban was saying. Almost verbatim. And there was no response or outcry or, or any kind of attention brought to it. From fans or the media. I, now, listen. I, I think that's that's probably for a number of reasons, but what Kirby said, reiterating what Saban said, or mirroring what Saban said, is kind of what the majority of people and coaches also believe. When you talk about like NIL, that's in its like completely unregulated and its infant stages as as being implemented in the NCAA. Of course, there are going to be concerns. Of course, there to be potential problems. And coaches are are the ones who are experiencing this the most and and closest to it. They're discussing them. They're bringing that up. Listen, like I've said this before. If I, if I tell you that I was late because I was in traffic, that doesn't mean that I was complaining about traffic. That just means there was fucking traffic. Discussing and addressing potential issues for something that has a fuck ton of potential issues and current issues isn't complaining. So this whole narrative about how these, these coaches are complaining about nil and they're mad about players getting paid that's not fucking true like across the board it's not true um do you think the 10 year it's a question from one of the the current viewers do you think the 10-year contract was to prevent any chance kirby considers going back to bama if Saban retires um i mean maybe but i don't think so i like you know i hope bama goes after kirby i don't care how that sounds um for all the reasons i've already said i just I don't think as dumb as this sounds when they write out these contracts. I mean, how much of it fucking matters? You know what I mean? Like, like if you're going to leave, you're going to leave the team. That's going to hire you away is going to pay your buyout. Um, the, you know, if you get fired, the, the team that or the program that, that fired you, they're going to pay a huge buyout so they can move on from you. We've seen this everywhere. We've seen this everywhere. I don't think Georgia is going to be, you know, um, innocent of of any of those potential things that we've, we've seen Auburn do it over and over and over. I mean, think about how many fucking coaches are getting paid at Auburn that haven't been there. I mean, Tommy Coverville is taking a salary as a, as a Senator. And I'm pretty sure still getting paid from like, he's been gone for over a decade. I said this in the pandemic year to Connor. Cause he, he didn't think anyone would get fired then because universities couldn't afford it. Money is not a real thing in college football. And especially in the sec, it doesn't matter how much the fucking buyout is. It doesn't matter how much like how much left is on the contract if enough people if you have enough people that want to buy this out tomorrow and restructure the deal no they probably wouldn't do that but regardless money is not a fucking obstacle in college football and especially at a place like Georgia so I think it's a great contract I think he is more than deserving of it um again like I said I, I it just kind of shocked at, at the reaction from it I, I do think that like in today's world like social media and these like just gross overreactions I don't know if it's just people don't have reading comprehension skills um, or if it's just they know what sells. If it's like you're just we react to bad reactions like the, the stuff you see like all over the news, social media, all that kind of stuff. That has kind of like, you know, built this type of uh, I, don't, I mean, I guess unnecessary response, but very, very uh, I don't even know the word I'm trying to fucking say it right now um consistent response from from national media from people that we used to like respect as journalists not saying rj young because i never fucking respected that guy but you know what i mean um all right that is all from the kirby stuff kirby again with a uh, fantastic day on wednesday by the way um i even asked him a question of course i opened by telling him that i was admittedly a bama fan and got into some questions about sets and bennett uh we'll start with Kirby and we'll go through just some of the the highlights from media days in general. And some of these teams, if you have questions about a certain team or player, let us know there, there was a lot of impressive people. I thought Kirby was one of the best. It was, it was visible um, how much more confidence he had and like, and how much more relaxed he was coming into this year at media days versus, you know, past years. Um, The question I asked him was, you know, when you come back down one and uh, late in the fourth quarter, and you still have sets in the game, and not only do you keep them in the game, but you call all passing plays right down the field, four-play drive, four-play 75 yards, game-winning drive from Stetson Bennett. I asked him if that was what kind of personal victory that must have been like, especially as somebody that was questioned constantly, uh, and specifically in games versus Bama. I, he he answered about as like well as you could, but what he said about Stetson was more telling than anything. Um, it, he brought up the fact that Stetson has, is the most disrespected, under-respected, an underrated player he thinks in all of college football in the entire country. Um, And he loves it. And he hopes that we keep doing it because, and I'm sure Georgia fans will, because it's done nothing but, but been proven wrong time and time again. But you know, because he isn't six feet tall (laughs) and he's a walk-on people still apparently don't get that message. Now seeing Setson and Bennett media days with the biggest crowd, maybe of anyone besides Bryce young all week was a sight to see. Um, And again, much deserved for that kid. The one thing I will say that was interesting, uh, Kirby brought up that that Stetson is their guy. He's the starter going into the season, and that's not in question. I asked Cedric Van Praan about, um, you know, like his thoughts on going going into the year and and having uh, Stetson already know he knowing he's the guy. What kind of confidence the rest of the team and the offense have in him? And his immediate response was to say that we have confidence in everyone, and and it's great for Stetson, but. There's a lot of other other guys in that room uh, that we feel just as or more confident in. Now we just heard from Kirby saying it's, you know Stetson's the guy. I heard from another Georgia rider as we were walking to lunch, and he said, and I quote, "I'm not going to tell you it was, but he said, um, honestly, Stetson Bennett sucks. He's not a good quarterback, and he's been he's been a backup to every fucking quarterback on the roster and depth chart for the past two seasons. So does he think he is the start at the end of the year? No." No, um, I was kind of surprised by that, but, uh, I, you know, I, I shouldn't be after the way Georgia fans have been, um, over the past couple couple years, hold on, Liz, can you please get Penelope, this is fun guys, Jesus Christ, um, anyway, I uh, hope you guys are enjoying, this is the, the last time we're going to record from this the location, I guess, um. Hold on. Anyway, questions about other teams? Like I said, timeout, guys. This is why Tyler's the host. I'll say it. Um, all right. Getting into the rest of the week, uh, we we'll go over some of the winners and losers and all that kind of stuff. Brian Kelly, I thought was great uh, when he opened the week. The, listen, Sam Pittman on Wednesday, him and Beamer, they have continued to own any room they walk into. Uh, Beamer did do a little bit of an awkward um, and super white uh, video before he got there where they did a, uh, I don't know, it was like a lip sync music video to Soldier Boy. I mean do you Shane, do you listen? His players love it. The recruits love it. He's doing a hell of a job and he's never going to be as cringy as Dabo. So it's working. Uh, the other thing was, but Sam Pittman just commanding the room again, he continues to be the most likable coach in the conference, possibly the country, probably the country. Um, I just kept telling him church camp coach O because everyone, no one's pulling against Sam Pittman and he did all the right things. He, he showed why all of his players love him. He had a moment with Nolan Smith, his former, uh, former player when he was at Georgia. Um, He complimented Kirby smart and his coaching tree um, went out of his way to compliment like the fan base and and talk about the rest of the sports that are being, that are so successful at Arkansas. Um, I brought up the fact that he was 16 and six against the spread and said, thank you for that. And, uh, and he was very proud of that and said, go hogs um, in a a little mini viral uh, clip there as well. Um, Outside of Pittman um, talked to Bubba pool for a second and KJ Jefferson, one of the things Bumper Poole said that stood out was because he's been in college for even longer than I was somehow. Um, a lot of these new players like Drew Sanders, Hazelwood, like he just kept saying, I, I just can't wait for you to see what we have on the field. I can't. wait, And it didn't sound like the normal, you know, typical bullshit like coach players speak. Um, he raved about how how much of a mismatch Trey Knox has been in practice, the uh, converted receiver to tight end. Um, who got to live everyone's dream in the off season, which was gain weight for, for, uh, for fun. Um, and like I said, Drew Sanders as well. They're one of, I think three or four schools in the country that has, is now returning their offensive and defensive coordinator for the third consecutive year. Um, maybe it was 11 teams. I don't know. It was a prime number regardless. The number was low and Arkansas has a ton of experience coming back with, uh, from a coaching standpoint. But, um, That's good, Eddie. I like that. Uh, Like I said, Shane Beamer, he also also uh, was a fan favorite. He's just so charismatic. He's always got a smile on his face. He's retweeting the media like during the event, Um, and just it's a guy you could tell is super passionate and and excited about what he's doing. Um, South Carolina was was a little bit of a of a I want to say fan or but but a media favorite uh, in terms of you know potentially having big upsets, potentially being a dark horse team in in the conference. Um, there were multiple people that, that said that they think South Carolina will upset, uh, will upset Georgia, uh, in, in week two or three, whatever that is. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers said he thinks that they're going to finish second in the East. I don't necessarily think all that's true. Um, but it was interesting to hear Shane Beamer talk about Spencer Rattler and the expectations he had, uh, for him and, and how much he's matured. So there's that, uh, what else we got here? I'm trying to think of uh, throughout the days. Um, Lane Kiffin. Pretty standard stuff. I, I did find one thing funny that uh, Kiffin Kiffin autographed a mustard bottle if you missed it, which was fucking hilarious because they had fans in the lobby asking for autographs and shit like that. Um, he did sign a a mustard bottle that someone brought. Um, I, if you're a Tennessee fan, I, I apologize because I, I missed Hypel's things this morning. I forgot my credentials for day three. Not my best. Uh, let's see here. Was, uh, Eli Drinkwitz... Um, Hate it for him, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying not to get invested into this guy as much. Uh, super charismatic, super likable. I don't even say he has an uphill battle. I think that there's, it's almost insurmountable at this point. They've got a good recruiting class coming in. But you've heard some people say this week, the SEC East might be stronger than the West this year uh, from a depth standpoint. And and Mizzou, thank God for Vandy, because Mizzou is, if it wasn't for them, they would be the bottom feeder of this division. Um Saban, Bryce Young, Bryce Young is a robot. He is, I mean, he's a coach speak transcript came to life, uh, which is fine for him. Will Anderson had some good quotes. Will Anderson brought up the fact that uh, somebody asked him about the Jimbo comments and he said, we'll address it and handle it on the field, which got a lot of Alabama beat reporters um, nipples very hard. Um, not mine. Uh, Cause they already were hard when he was talking. So there's that. Um, he also had, I told you he would have the most awkward uh, quote of the week. And he said, when I was a kid, I was the kind of kid that, you know, liked to always be outside hitting trees and stuff. I don't, I don't know that kind of kid. I'll just be honest. Um, Clark Lee, fuck it. We're not gonna talk about Clark Lee right now. Uh, Mike Leach, he had, um, he answered a pretty good question from Connor O'Gara about, uh, about what he was watching on Netflix, his introduction, um, and his opening remarks, were seven total words, which is awesome. Um, it's fantastic. Put that in perspective. Clark Lee's was like twenty four hundred about Vanderbilt. Uh so, so there's that. Mississippi State. I think a team probably flying under the radar a little bit. They returned seventeen starters, a shit ton of talent. Um, what Will Rogers at quarterback. Uh, they get Wally back at receiver, and and um, you know, somebody that was like. I think people expected a lot out of him last year and then he got injured, but that's a team I feel like that's probably not getting as much respect as they should. Also, I don't know if there's a ceiling built over their heads just because they're Mississippi state and because of Mike Leach, but we'll see. Um, They do have a very tough, tough schedule. Uh, Okay. Like I said, we talked about Arkansas, Georgia, Florida, Billy Napier. Um, Somebody called him coach Billy. And I'm still uncomfortable about that. Uh, Kentucky Wildcats, Mark Stoops um, and Will Levis. Will Levis was from everything that I heard to a man, one of the most charismatic and, and uh, impressive people at the event all week. I, I mean, I just, listen, I love Mark Stoops. I think he's fantastic. He's done a great job. I don't know, with everything they lost, I don't know how they replace all that, but it it is really cool to see in a, I wouldn't say a short amount of time, because he's been there about a decade, but there were a lot of lot of people that it was almost like a foregone conclusion that Kentucky will get to 10 wins, which they've only done that twice since 1978. Um, they will get to 10 wins this season, and they will finish second in the East. Because not anyone said, uh, oh, God, we're not getting – I said we were getting an eye tattoo? No. Um, most people – actually, every person I talked to, but I said, who, who do you are predicting to win the West? Who do you predicting to win the East? Every single person blew it off, scoffed at it, Georgia and Bama. Every person that I asked who they thought would win the conference, every single person said Bama. Um, so logically, and, and naturally, the the follow-up question was who finished second in each division? And I think that's probably the most interesting thing looking ahead of the season, especially in the East, is who is going to be the second-best team? Florida. A lot of people – or some people said South Carolina. But Kentucky was, was probably the odds-on favorite besides maybe Tennessee. Um, and and they, it kind of feels like they've arrived. When you talk to just the – like the – overall, uh, I guess sentiment of, of what people think of that program. It's not a basketball school anymore. Um, they expect them to be in contention. Several people, Peter Burns being one of them, uh, they think that Kentucky could even be undefeated going into that Georgia game. Do I know? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, all right. The last team we're going to talk about fucking Clark Lee, Clark Lee, If you don't know what he looks like, he, I said at media days, he looked like a thumb. He looks like a penis, guys. Clark Lee, he he looks like a penis. He's bald, very stocky. Um, I mean, it's a good looking penis. It's just, but it's a penis, guys. He didn't do himself any favors in that category uh, and department either because he showed up in a tan suit, which, I mean, like tan, like me being tan right now, non existent. He had the longest, Uh, opening, opening remarks of any other coach, um, which I'll just go ahead and tell you right now as the head coach of Andy, you don't need, you don't have to have, no one gives a shit. His quarterback, Mike Wright was awesome and, and was one of probably, I'd say like the fan favorites all week, um, from, from his interviews and how charismatic he was. And he was named the starter. Um, he was great. He was great. He had a lot of good insight he was talking about with the NIL stuff and how, the Vandy players don't really worry about that because they have paid internships uh, for all their players or a lot of their players, but that was pretty interesting. Um, but Clark Lee just went fucking full blank, um, like simple Jack and swung for the fences. Uh, somebody asked, I think it was the guy from Arkansas. Um, I can't remember his name right now. Everyone loves him. The, the, the beat reporter, but he said, you're opening three games in the sec. Are against teams that were thirty-seven and six last year: Georgia, Bama, Ole Miss. How daunting is that as a team? That's a fair question, guys. Uh, He said, and I quote: "Not at all. We expect to win these games, and we're we're not worried about those records um, being underdogs. And we are once we win those games that we we're not going to celebrate it." I don't know the streaks. We don't pay attention to that kind of negative stuff, but once we win those games, and we will, we're not gonna celebrate it. That's not what we do here at Vandy. And we are going to build we are going to build Vandy into one of the best programs in the country. I don't know if he meant space programs. I don't know if he meant after school programs. Um, I, I don't know if he meant like, I don't know, a diet that he he came up with to be a better looking penis. I don't know there's no fucking way Vanderbilt is going to be a remotely relevant football program and no offense, but especially under Clark Lee. Uh, in my opinion, from everything I heard from him, I didn't view it as like confident coach speak or, or, or you know, what what else do you want him to say? I think Clark Lee's in over his head. He, he did not seem to get it. It It's okay to say that like, it's going to be a difficult road to play anyone in the sec because Vandy, I don't know if you know this, went 2-10 and ten last year. They almost lost to fucking UConn. Um, they're, they're over under projected win total is 2.5 this year. That's fucking tough to do, guys. Tough to do. So, Clark Lee, um, not being able to give like an ounce of humility and respect to any other programs, and, and you know, it wasn't disrespectful, but seemed to go out of his way to be overconfident, um, which, you know, some people like that, but they're usually guys that like Axe body spray and backing into parking spaces for no reason. Um, all right, let's see here. I miss Tyler. He's, he's a lot better at hosting this. Uh, and I'm tired of hearing my own voice questions from y'all and what, uh, other topics we'll, we'll release our projected order for finish tomorrow. Um, I will tell you that I have in order. Um, this is what I, this is what I put out there. I said, hold on. Where's that? Jesus Christ, Chris. I have in the East, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Um, in that order, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. I got talked to in Florida last minute. I was not very high on them going into the season until Anthony Richardson showed up at 240 pounds. Didn't look like it. Um, and you know, as most of you know, by now, Runs a 4-4, can throw the ball 75 yards in the air. Um, Tim Tebow, who I think is probably a little bit biased for Florida, um, and probably not the best judge of talent for quarterbacks. But he said he is the most gifted and dominant athlete at any position in the country, or has a chance to be because of how special and and how much of a freak he is. I don't think he's wrong. Uh, I still have him finishing third, though, behind Tennessee and Georgia. In the West, I'll be honest, after the first two... I, this could be a fucking crapshoot. Um, but I have Bama, A&M, Ole Miss, Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and LSU. So uh, you agree, disagree? I'm sure everyone agrees. Um, and last but not least, my annual hedge and jinx. I have Georgia and Bama winning their divisions. I have Georgia beating Bama uh, and winning the SEC. I, I jokingly said a thing about the hedge. I I fully believe uh for the most part that that's what's going to happen i it, and it's nothing to do with the talent at bama because i think they are going to be fucking loaded um everything that we heard from about from even will anderson about how good jameer gibbs is uh and those receivers all that stuff this will be the best defense they've had since 2016 um and they're good at all the the best like or at the right spots right they will be more experienced at corner um even though it'll still be a, a little bit of a concern they're, they're experienced in the back end at safety um with jordan battle they will have the best front seven in the country. Uh, and you have at every level, you have uh, a potential All American with Henry to 0 to 0. But off the edge, man, with Dallas Turner um, and Will Anderson, I talked to one person that's close, that, that covers Bama and is close to the program. Um, and he said flat out the way that they've been going about practices uh, and the way they will most likely go about practices this fall regarding Will Anderson and I guess in general, for the defense is keep him out of as much contact as they, as they can. And the main focus is just make sure he doesn't get injured. Will Anderson, no one's worried about him. He is like already proved how dominant of a player he is. But the, the thing that was said to me was they can't get anything done at practice. It is, it is useless. Um, ever going, like trying to put a game plan in trying to get reps in when that kid's on the field because he is so dominant uh, against the person or persons across from him. So um, I still say the offensive line is a huge fucking issue, uh, but that, you know, there were a couple couple players that commented on that and said it wasn't as pressing or as bad as it looked in the spring game, just because of how good Anderson is. There's that. So um, I, but I still think that schedule Bama has, is going to be really difficult. It's also, I have Arkansas so low because their schedule is way too difficult. Um, Again, I don't know who Sam Pittman hurt, but whoever's, creating that schedule is a fucking nightmare. So, uh, they've got to play BYU and, and, uh, and Cincinnati in the non-con before they even get into the conference play. So, and listen, I don't know. Maybe I said he was church camp coach. O. maybe pippen has got a little bit more coach o in him than we, we thought. So that's what, that's why he's going out to Provo to play BYU. See some of those moms, but that's my pick. I think George's uh, George's schedule is a fucking joke. um, and I'm going to say as I said this last week. People thought it was crazy. Georgia could could be better than last year, um, and more dominant, like it, from a, a standpoint of like average, you know, scoring margin, all that kind of shit, and the way they put away teams. I, that sounds, I guess, dumb to people because I love you too, CJ, uh, because of how they, you know, they have the best defense in the history of college football and how dominant that side of the football was and I guess people still doubting sets and bit on offense, that offense is going to be way better this year. Um, They returned weapons everywhere. People forget how many injuries they had early in the season for people that were out the whole year. I don't know if uh, Arian Smith actually plays, but he he could be a potential stud. They could put out four tight ends, maybe five um, and that just be the entire offense. And they would still probably go 10 and two. And I fully mean that. Uh, So yeah, that'll come out tomorrow. Um, I think that, Georgia beats Bama, wins the SEC. Who knows? Maybe Bama goes 12-0 in the regular season and backdoors their way in. Um, We'll get to playoff predictions, all that kind of stuff next week when I'm more full of energy. Uh, We'll go over y'all's questions real quick and we'll call it a day. I appreciate y'all joining us and all of that good stuff too. Um, Hold up, hold up, hold up. All right, here you go. Uh, Robert Saint Jean says, "Outside of your three big viral videos, what was your favorite moment or interview? Favorite moment or interview? I, I've met a lot of fun people, um, and and people like in the media. Chris Gordy, of course, is a friend of the show. We got to hang out with our old coworker, SEC Mike. Uh, actually, even hung out with um, the people from Auburn, locked or locked on Auburn. I tell you what, the, the upset of the year was. It, there were several people that, not saying it's an arrogant way, but recognized me from Twitter." which I just assumed was a bad thing. Um, I guess, I mean, just because the, because the pun Vern Funquist is so good uh, or so funny to people, they can overlook all of my shit tweets um, because that just was, uh, that was like a constant theme of the week. But yeah, I hung out with a lot of those fun fun people. The guys from SC network, of course, Doring was fucking on one Peter Burns shaving a mustache. It was, it was a lot of fun from that standpoint, favorite interview of the week. Um, Bumper pool was a lot of fun. he was he was really nice, but honestly, I think I think it was hearing Kirby talk because he was so engaged and so engaging, and again, you could just you could feel the confidence that was coming from him. Uh, so it was probably probably him. Let's see here. Also T. Bob if we did some videos with. he was fucking hilarious as usual. Uh, let's see here. Next question was, does Kirby schedule his morning dump because he thinks it'll give him a recruiting advantage? So Bobby Burchin sent that in um, and he said it on two platforms so, or medium. So I would be able to see it. I don't get it. I don't think Kirby poops, you know, I mean, he's been bloating for a while. He's been putting on a lot of weight. I'm just assuming he hasn't gone to the bathroom in a long time. Um, what would be your dream location for sec media days? My living room probably. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, Atlanta's fun because it's close by, but it's kind of more fun to go somewhere. Um, more people doing stuff out at night, uh, I I don't know. Also, it's kind of fucking frustrating to go down some to some place. that's 10 minutes away. Also that I used to work at at both locations that they were, they were having this event at and still have to pay $25 uh, for parking. Did not like that. Thoughts after Billy's first SEC media days as the head ball coach at Florida. I I think he's going to be fine. And I think he's got a a quarterback. That's going to really help him get through the first year. The weird bromance with Kirby was off putting. And again, the Coach Billy thing is we got to fucking put an end to that. I, I think long term he's going to be in good shape if the boosters. I, I don't think Florida fans get what it takes to go like take this program to the next level in the current state of football. And let me let me tell you exactly what that means. So Florida fans are used to winning, according to them, because of spur years and what they did at Urban Meyer. And. You know they have, they've got like the tradition of the the three different heisman trophy winners at quarterback in the swamp and bob before Spurrier got there it wasn't like florida was a you know decades of dominance type program um and they've been pretty bad uh i think more than they've been good during this like the past 10 years i know they won a couple of division titles but they were not ever going to challenge for anything more than that winning like a really shitty down division one of the things Billy Napier said before he took that position, uh, which I loved was he didn't just chase after the big name job as a, as a small time coach, he made sure they were going to do things the right way. Cause he knew if he took that job and they didn't have any of the same budget for recruiting um, like, cause it came out that Kirby's budget at UGA was a million dollars more than anyone else. First thing he requested was you have to match that or it's a, it's a non-negotiable and they did, which is great. But now when you move into NIL, and and the success of your program is somewhat dependent on the how deep the pockets are from your boosters and how willing they are to spend. I said this before, this is going to be the ultimate equalizer for all blue bloods that have been dormant, USC, Texas, Tennessee. All those programs are going to start thriving again, in my opinion, or at least being relevant consistently because they have the money and resources to win and get recruits. Florida does too. They just don't want to fucking spend the money. Napier has basically had to beg his boosters for for money. And I'm not going to get upset about like his recruiting class rankings right now or what the fuck ever. Because I think he'll be a good recruiter. But I don't think Florida fans know that they have a part in this too. Um, which sounds odd. But as somebody that's donating to basically the results on the field now, if you're if you're just trying to amass talent, I don't think that that they get it. They didn't get it under Mullen. All I heard, you know, for for all three, four years he was there was how good of, of a team and how good of a developer he was and, and how, you know, he did this with three stars. Look like at Kyle Trask. who did with Dak, Dak Prescott. You know, these these star uh, rankings are always skewed anyway and overrated and blah, blah, blah. And, and they, like, you know, it's not important. Um, It took one year for that that mindset to change when Mullen went six and seven the year after going to his third New Year's Six Bowl in a, in a row. If you can't recruit, you can't win at in college football at this point. Kirby even said it. I mean, we've heard everyone say it, Kirby said it right after the game where he fucking destroyed Dan Mullen. Florida fans didn't get it then. I don't think they get it now. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if they're going to do the things necessary to help Billy Napier be or coach Billy. Uh, be successful. That's just my opinion. And I'm sure Florida fans will have a very calm, measured and reasonable response to that. Uh, All right. Other questions we got, and we'll call it a night. Do you think Harson should be gone? No, no. And he won't be Um, real quick. Here's the point on that. He won't be gone because if he goes seven and five or eight and four, which he should, again, they were six and six last year, finished six and seven. A lot of things happen then that I don't think would happen again. I don't think you blow that lead to Bama. I don't think you blow a 28 to 3 lead against Mississippi State, both those games at home. I don't think you lose to South Carolina when you have a fourth and one. You call it a play action pass on. None of those things happen. I don't think any of those results or decisions happen again this season. So you remove just one of those from last year. They they finished seven and five, potentially nine and three. That's what they should be this year. Um, cause they're only going to be improved. You, if they go seven and five or eight and four, you can't fire them. Cause that again, just makes your your university and program look even worse. Uh, and, and it's an unjustifiable uh, firing. And then who are you going to get? Who's going to want to come to Auburn? Cause now if he's gone after year two, now you have a justified shit show from what happened before the season. And then seemingly after, or hypothetically after, after you fired him, cause then you start looking at the history of it and, and it's, It's very clear that the people running that program are irrational at best. There you go. Uh, Chase Aiken says, do you think the weird Mississippi contract rule could lead, could make Leach's seat hotter than it probably should be? I'll be honest. I don't know what the contract rule is. Um, I don't think it's far fetched to think he's on the hot seat. He fired Moorhead after two years and you know, I don't think he wasn't successful. Uh, He just won you an egg bowl. And and then got fired right afterwards. Um, if you want somebody that'll that will go to bat for that argument. Um, definitely ask Connor because, you know, he was blown away when when Moorhead was fired and, and honestly kind of with good reason. But if he was on the chopping block, I think Leach probably has a little bit more staying power and leaning to just because of his name. But when you hired Mike Leach, you they didn't hire Mike Leach thinking that he was going to take them to a championship. I I wouldn't think. Cause Mike Leach has never won a championship and he's never really competed for a championship. And when you look at his career as a whole, really fun and an innovative, you know, offense and charismatic guy that's weird as fuck, but also like fun to listen to in the same way that it's fun to see someone shout at, you know, into the abyss on a subway in the middle of the night. I don't actually, that's kind of, that sounded kind of scary. Um, you know, he's, he's like, He's fun and funny to watch and look at and laugh at. Um, is he, I mean, listen, they beat Texas in 2008. I think he has built the rest of his fucking career off that. Uh, he made a kid hide in a shed out in the open um, for the concussion protocol. And then got fired for it. And then there was a lot of backlash. So he should have been fired because Texas Tech was even worse after he left. Listen, he's a seven and five coach. That's a seven and five program. If if that's the hot seat, I mean, you know, he's he's basically he's Paul Johnson, but just like with a forward pass. They're a triple option offense, but that they throw it six yards instead. Uh let's see here. If you could bring in one outside of the SEC coach to ask a question to who would it be and what would you ask? Would I be asking the question? What are you trying to say? This is very poorly uh structured sentence. Um, would I be asking the question? I would say. Hmm. I would really like to ask, like, I mean, I made it a point to make sure that none of the questions I asked were relevant to football at all or had anything to do with it. Um. For the most part, I would love to do that to Kevin Warren and just fucking grill him. If it was any coach in the country, give me a second. I mean, Sark probably has some good stories for sure. Um. I would love to talk to Lincoln Riley about his brisket because that's awful. Um, Chip Kelly, I think, would be kind of fascinating just because of his career and where it's gone. Um, he's not a coach anymore, but Bo Pelini is fascinating. Uh, same with Coach O. But, let me th- I mean, you know what? If it was me seriously talking football, it would probably be uh, Mario Cristobal at, at Miami because that's a guy that I feel like is – building something special probably down at miami and again dormant program for a while but nil money they're gonna be good this year they're top 15 team preseason um that guy i think gets it i think he understands how to build a roster we saw him do it at oregon with success there i would probably ask him uh you know like just his process and if, if this is his end goal um and then he of course would not respond to that uh with any kind of I don't know. Answer besides coach speak. The other person I would do is probably Greg Schiano, and just ask how happy he was um, looking back at avoiding the, the fiasco at Tennessee. Cause I feel like Tennessee fans for whatever reason, still feel like they dodged a bullet. I don't think Tennessee fans have realized they've been the bullet. Everyone else has been dodging is like coaching wise for the last decade. So that is it. Um, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, Tyler will be back next week. We're going to start going to two pods a week and yeah, that's it. Uh, go follow along all the shit with SDS. And um, more importantly, follow everything with Cultural Uncensored. We have some really, really big plans and some stuff coming up um, for you guys. We're going to start our team preview, uh, preseason preview series, uh, where we do team specific, I guess, episodes um, for every single team besides Vandy. Because Clark Lee. Listen, if Clark Lee comes on and this podcast is sponsored by Trojan because of it, we will, we will interview them. Um, but I don't know. I just, I can't, I, I don't know if I ever need to hear Clark Lee speak again. Uh, but we'll do, we'll do previews for every other team. Um, if you have suggestions on, on questions for, or who we should bring in and experts, media people, coaches, whatever um, that we should get for those interviews, let us know. That's about it. Shout out to all you guys. Shout out to uh, the SEC, the College Bowl Hall of Fame, especially from putting on an incredible event. Uh, we got some more, um, I'll, I'll tell you guys with that later. Um, also shout out to my girlfriend Liz for being a, uh, a team player this week, because this is, like I said, the longest week of the year. Um, and it was, it's usually an 80 hour work week. And last but not least, i me to close with this. Just a little bit of gratitude for you guys this week. Um, all jokes aside was the probably the most positive, uh, I think. And probably the most positive and impactful, um, week I've had like professionally and, and from a confidence standpoint, from like a um, productivity standpoint and all the things we were able to accomplish in a week where I usually go into that thing, just wanting to post tweets, memes, and and shit on social media. Um, the amount of, I feel like uh, conversations I had about how much people enjoyed the podcast and and things that we can do next and, and people that, you know, we were able to to meet that we're going to bring on that were fans of us and fans of Tyler um, that weren't just my girlfriend or our parents, uh, was awesome. It was awesome. And, and I think that really not only just means a lot, but it was, um, it was fun to kind of feel like we, we belonged, uh, for the first time in, in a long time. So I say all that because if anyone has kept up with this and it's the last time I'm going to bring it up, um, ever, uh, hopefully, but a year ago this week is when all the shit went, went South, um, for me. And it was, you know, that was kind of like top of mind because it was during me days. But we're a year removed from that and so fucking happy. And me and Tyler, like I said this before, Tyler had a baby. My life goes to shit a month for the season. And we were able to have that much fun and that much success and and, and do that many different uh, cool, unique things with the podcast in year one. Year two is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be even better. Um, so I'm excited for you all to, to see what's coming um, and what we got in store for you. And we appreciate all the support. Uh, like I mean that from the bottom of our hearts. So. That's enough sappy shit. I'm going to go take a shower and a nap for three days, and we will see y'all next time, guys.